Hi, everyone. I am so excited about this episode of Allie and You. The guest I have today is a dear friend, and you are going to learn so much. So here we go. Jonathan Levy is an online educator, published author, podcaster, and angel investor all-in-one, and a really nice guy. Uh, he's the founder of Superhuman Enterprises, an information products company which creates content and online courses. We're going to learn all about that today for those of you that want to create your own online course. Um, he, he creates content that educates, entertains, and performs and transforms. I would say that everything that you do now needs to entertain, right? You need to be able to capture people's attention. So this is super important. Since 2014, when he created his first course on speed reading and memorization, which I'm dying to learn about, mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan has been one of the top performing ed educators on Udemy, showing 130,000 people in 200 countries how to learn better and live happier. Now he helps his students build the kind of life they truly want to live by learning, unlearning, relearning in all areas of their lives. So Jonathan, I am so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. You know, I just finished your book last week. So you've been on my mind and I've been enjoying it so much. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Well, um, you are coming to us from Israel, correct? Correct. Yeah, I'm in the heart of Tel Aviv. You wouldn't know from the soundproofing of the room, <laughs> but I'm in about the most trafficked part of the entire country right now. Well, I've been to Israel many times, and it is a absolutely beautiful country, and Tel Aviv is one of my favorites. It's such a metropolitan city. A lot of yes. people don't realize that, but it's such a fun place to be. So Yeah, people joke about it that you need a passport to go from Tel Aviv to the rest of the country. Yeah, it's, it's very true. So, so what started you on this path? Uh, I mean, your story is awesome, so I want everyone to get a glimpse at that. Yeah, so uh, growing up, I was like many entrepreneurs. I mean, I really found my tribe when I discovered entrepreneurship. Uh, I had a really hard time in school. It was cute for the first few years, you know, oh, the student in the back who's always making jokes and laughing and can't sit still. It was less cute by the time I turned 12, 13, and 14. So I really struggled, not just in the classroom, but also outside of the classroom with learning, right? Other kids were learning all these social skills and behaviors and learning how to fit in and learning how to make friends and learning how to talk to girls. And I not only was behind everyone in class, but outside of class as well. And that led to a lot of negative side effects, won't elaborate too much, but bullying and depression and even suicidal thoughts. Um, and it wasn't really until I discovered entrepreneurship that I found something that I was actually good at. Um, I discovered a, a wonderful tactic for compensating for my inability to learn in the classroom, which was called Ritalin. And I would just take a whole bunch of that and then come home every day at three o'clock and compensate for what I wasn't understanding. I would sit in my bedroom from three o'clock to seven o'clock when my mom dragged me out forcibly for dinner, go back in and study till I dropped. And that's how I just kept up and caught up. I did the same thing in college, you know, just work harder than everyone else to try and catch up. I had to change my major three times in college because I just couldn't run my business at the same time as keeping up in school. So I ended up 
going from a great major, which was economics, to a less great major, which was anthropology, to a less great major. I ended up finally on sociology, not a super useful degree, but it was easy enough that I could get through it. Um, fast forward a few years, I sold my business, decided to go back to business school because I really figured out business is what I'm good at. The problem was I knew in business school, it's not really about what's in the classroom. It's about the networking and the relationships. So my old trick of just lock myself in my bedroom wasn't going to work. I was going to have to figure a, a way out to actually do the work, make the friends, make the connections, travel because I studied in Singapore and in France and I was all over the world. Um, and hopefully along the way, also start a side business because I went there to meet potential co-founders. Fortunately for me, I happened upon two people who were experts in accelerated learning, speed reading, and memory. And I was like, please teach me. So I hired them for private coaching and it, it changed my life because suddenly I realized that um, there are better and worse ways to learn. It's not like you're either smart or not smart or you have a good memory, a bad memory. It's just, do you know how to use your brain? And the beauty of that skill is it's kind of like a very meta thing. Once you learn that, I mean, as soon as I got out of business school and I applied it there and it, it changed my life. And the first thing I did was, oh my God, I should dig deeper on this and I should go into all these things that I'm passionate about. I had all these problems with my joints. So I read a 600 page book on, on basically how to fix the human body. I had, again, dating back problems, communicating problems with, uh, making friends and reflecting well and public speaking. And so I read another 660 page book on body language and I just went so deep on so many different topics. And I realized like, uh, if you can learn, you can learn anything. And so learning is really the only skill that matters. And after enough time and enough people asking me, how do you do this? And, and why did you finish the exam before everybody else? I said, what if I, translated all these materials, which I learned in Hebrew, and we built an online course that anyone could take at their own pace. Now, I didn't know anything about online courses. I'd taken one online course ever, and that opened my, my mind to this idea of like, maybe there's a business opportunity in scaling and automating the way that people learn. Um, and I knew nothing. I didn't know how to record video, edit video. I didn't know how to write pedagogical materials. I didn't know how to submit and, and win on these marketplace ranking websites where there's 30,000 other competitors. Uh, but I sat down and I did some speed reading and memory and learning. And I learned everything I could over the course of a weekend, really. And I put my first course up and the rest is kind of history. Within a few weeks, it became one of the best-selling courses on the platform. Within a few years, it had become a movement so that's so i mean you said so many things in the <laughs> three minutes that i'm like oh my god that's powerful that's powerful um you know it's i think so many entrepreneurs struggle with this add adhd whatever <sighs> you want to call it and i you know i question it it really is just the way people learn and i think that business owners are so creative it you don't fit in this box and that's how society wants us uh you know to because it i hate to say you've got more control of the classroom and you know my daughter really struggled with that you know all through school and she was misdiagnosed as somebody that didn't care and mm. it was always like you know we were having teacher meetings over and over and uh you know it wasn't really until her senior year uh when she was about to graduate 
that we figured out that she was just really having issues with her memory and processing. And from then could figure out how to navigate through life. And, uh, you know, she's such a super creative person. So I love this work. And it, you know, the other thing you said about, um, it really is a matter of, I mean, if you can learn anything, right, you can apply it to your life in whatever way that you want to. And we yeah. have so I always like to ask people, like, what, what do you think the most important skill is in life? And you, you get a range of answers, like uh, kindness, really important, people skills, really important, uh, learning to motivate, learning to manage your time. Like, you get a, a whole range of answers. Uh, and then I go, okay, how do you develop that skill? And they go, well, you learn it. And I go, okay, so wait a minute. If you can't learn effect, you know, and it's so true. And I think it's interesting talking about your daughter, like, I once heard Tony Buzan, who's like the godfather of what I do and what I do now, he did 50 years ago before the internet. So I owe a lot of credit to him for paving the way by writing his books. Um, he talked about, you know, if you buy a microwave, which a whole team of engineers at GE or Bosch have sat in a room and figured out how can we make this so easy to use that anyone can use this device. It's literally designed to be easy to use. And you get an instruction manual that's this thick, right? But the human brain, which by the way, most people don't realize is the most complex object in the known universe. No user's manual, not even a quick explanation of like, hey, Allison, by the way, if you're gonna use your brain, you probably wanna do these three things and it works best if you feed it this and uh, sleep eight hours. You know, just a heads up. So yeah. it's crazy. It's really, really crazy. And by the way, we get learn. We don't learn to learn. In right. School, right. We don't really right. just go memorize this. Go do this work, but it's not telling you how to think, how to process, how to set yourself up for success. Right. And you know, as I was writing my book, I was thinking like some people might think, well, it's not. It's not the job of the education system to teach me how to use my brain. And I'm like, really? Because when I was in school, they taught me how to use my other parts because I remember like three months of really awkward classes where the biography teacher or the biology teacher taught me about the other parts and how they work. So why did nobody teach me how to use my brain? You know, um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I think that would put everybody ahead. So why do you think that it is so challenging for us to learn and retain information? Yeah. Well, um, the first thing, and I know it's super cliche to bash on the education system, but our education system is, is based on a model that doesn't exist uh, anymore and on a world that doesn't exist anymore. It's education at scale. Uh, and it's education at scale without technology and without understanding. I mean, our education system dramatically predates our understanding of the brain. We haven't really understood how people learn since like the 1950s. I mean, uh, we understood how memory works a little bit in the 1860s. And then we started to understand like the conditions that make an adult brain learn better along about the 1950s with the work of Malcolm Knowles. But our education system dates back way before then to the early, early parts of the industrial era and, and certain parts of it. The idea of having someone stand in front and lecture, that's a, a 2,500 year old idea that dates back to Plato and Socrates. Like what if we just put everyone in a room where they could all see one person and then we orate, but you know, the Greeks knew nothing about how the brain actually works for all the great things that they did. And so 
our education system is just not designed for the way that we understand that we learn. And, and any parent, especially a parent who's had a child who's struggled to learn knows like if the child doesn't experience things, if they don't see it with their own eyes, if they don't touch it with their own hands, if it's not made interactive and connected to the things that they actually care about, you know, it's in one ear and out the other. It's like every parent in the world knows this. And yet for some reason, our education system is like, all right, turn to page 32 and let me tell you a bunch more stuff and not give you any context about why you care about it and, and not make it interactive and not make it exciting. And, and so that's a, a big part yeah. of it, right? Yeah, I, you know, everything you said makes so much sense. I mean, I lead events. If I just stood up there and lectured, I mean, nobody would come, you know, right. I would be bored. And you probably remember there were those few teachers that got it, you know, that really made the classroom fun and that was interactive and experiential. And those are the ones that you, you know, you really are grateful for. Those are the ones yeah. where you actually remember what went on. Totally. So, and yeah, the most innovative cool. schools, you know, know this. Like I was recently at a lecture with the founder, co-founder of Muse Schools. And she was talking about, I mean, they know this and, and Muse, their whole curriculum has been based on neuroscience and, and understanding of how children learn. So kids at Muse schools don't learn biology by flipping through a textbook and going, this is the stamen of the flower. They do it by actually planting a garden that feeds the school. They don't learn math by, you know, Timmy and Johnny have three apples. They learn it by actually running a bake sale and funding the school and learning the economics and what happens if we, if each cookie costs us 37 cents and we make 472 cookies per batch, you know, that's how they learn. And it's like, there's real connection. So we know a, a couple fundamentals about the way the brain works and, and a couple ways that our brains retain memory. So most people have heard of the hippocampus, which is actually named by the Greeks. They didn't really know what it did, but they knew what it looked like. And hippocampus is the Greek word for seahorse. Now, most people don't realize, but you have two of them in your brain, one in the left hemisphere, one in the right hemisphere. And the job of that is just to figure out, do I care, right? It determines, is this worth remembering or not worth remembering? And that's a full-time job. Our brains are 2% of our body mass. They consume 20% of the energy, oxygen, and resources of our bodies, which is insane. So it's really important that we stay hyper-efficient. Um, Fun fact, and I can go on brain tangent facts all day, so stop I me at some point. this stuff. Keep going. <laughs> so uh, essentially, our brain runs on about as much power. I don't know the exact kilowatts and megawatts, but it, I think they run on about 10 watts of power, which is about two of those super energy efficient CFL bulbs that your energy company is always trying to get you to buy. Yeah. But they have the computing power. If you could build a computer that had as much computing power as the human brain, it would be something like 40 uh, megawatts, which is a small nuclear power plant. It's insane. Wow. So they're hyper efficient. We don't know why, but part of it is this efficiency of like forgetting stuff. And I mean, it's amazing. Like it's, it's, it'll probably take us another 30 or 40 years to figure out how the human brain actually does what it does. But um, part of that algorithm is, is forgetting. So there are a couple of criteria that trick the hippocampi or convince the hippocampi that it's worth remembering. One is, is it connected to stuff that I actually care about? Interestingly enough, our brains work a lot like Google. So Google became really innovative in the 1990s. And the reason that they surpassed AltaVista and Yahoo was their superior algorithm. 
because they said not only how much stuff is connected to this page, you know, alisonmaslin.com, but also how important is the stuff that's feeding to this page? Because using that algorithm, they call it PageRank, I can figure out like, look, there's only three connections, but they're really, really important, you know, and your brain works the same way. It's like, you have that one memory that involves your parents and it's a, a memory where you had a near-death experience. It's like, that's a really important memory. So if something connects to it, if you learn a new piece of information, like, you know, I didn't realize that day, you know, your parents tell you, well, that, that day we were on highway five and suddenly that detail is connected to something that's so important, so crucial. So that's one. Wow. Two is, uh, is it outrageous? Is it violent, sexual? Our brains crave novelty. So if we can turn things into bizarre or outstanding in any kind of way, that's going to dramatically improve our memory. And the third one is the most controversial one, uh, not in terms of what scientists know, but in terms of what people think they know. And that is, is it visual? Is it uh, experiential? So there's a hierarchy of how memorable our senses are based on evolutionary advantage and based on how old the scent or the um, sense is. Everyone knows smell and taste, most memorable senses. If you smell that perfume of that boyfriend or girlfriend from 30 years ago, you're going to go right back to them. Yeah. But third most memorable is vision because it's life or death. On the savannah, most predators don't announce themselves. So it's not going to give you a real survival advantage to remember what a cheetah sounds like. But seeing and remembering that this particular plant is the one that killed off half the tribe when they ate it, really, really good. So um, those three criteria alone, if you can make anything that you want to learn connected, outrageous, and highly visual, you're going to dramatically improve how well you remember things. And also on the other side, let's say that you're a business owner and you want people to remember you, right? Right. It's going to be visual, outrageous, right? Totally. Think of, uh, you know, Lady Gaga, and that's one of the reasons that people um, you know, really like her because she's so unique. But I think mm -hmm. so many people are afraid to kind of get on that edge. But, you know, what you're saying here makes sense that we actually crave that or are drawn to that. Totally. And you can use this in presentations. I mean, you've, you and I have both done Genius Network 10-Minute Talks and we both worked with Joel Weldon. And he's always saying, you got to have pictures, got to have pictures, make those pictures funny, make them outrageous, make them comical. This is why, because if you want people to remember your presentation, they're not going to remember the words that you say, but they will remember the moment where, you know, that moment where uh, Dmitry Kozlov stood up in the meeting that we were all in and started just rapping. I don't remember what he said, but I remember the picture of him going, yeah, you know, yeah. and they'll remember that moment. I remember the charts from your scale or fail talk. It's like, here's the stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. I remember the visual that you created. And it's so much more powerful than trying to get people to remember because, you know, I would challenge people even one sentence ago, give me the exact words that I said. They don't remember, but, you know, go to the motion that I just made or the picture that you thought of in that moment and you can remember it. Yeah, that's so powerful. So then how do we take what you're saying, th these three criteria, and use that to increase our memory. Because yeah. I find, 
for myself even, this is something I'm really focused on. I have a lot of things going on at one time, as do most people that are running a business. And sometimes I feel like that my brain is like there's a, a shortage going on because it's like going, uh, wait a minute, I'm overflowing with information, you know? So how are you narrowing it down to remember? Yeah, it's funny because I, I was just on a call before this with Nicholas Sonnenberg because we're building a course for him on uh, how businesses can better use technological tools to communicate and plan and all that kind of thing. He's really good at this stuff. And there's an idea that he keeps repeating, which is your brain is for having ideas, not holding them. So the idea is I try to get out and put and capture and all that kind of stuff. But your brain is also for having ideas and knowledge is the kind of little asterisk that I want to add. So I use my memory not so much for what are the you know, 50 things that I need to get done today. For that, I have a task management software or I have you know, my to-do list on my iPhone. But what are, what are all the things that I want to know? Uh, what are the languages that I want to speak? I want to memorize, before I go to every Genius Network meeting, I want to memorize the names of everyone who's going to be in the room. So I never have that awkward moment of like looking at their name tag because I'm the memory guy. And that, that's an easy thing to do. So yeah, how do we make, how do we actually transform this? And, and I will say like uh, the theory is the easy part. We teach we have a 10 week course on memory, speed reading, accelerated learning, all that kind of stuff. And we actually teach the adaptation for two straight weeks. So it's like, okay, now you know this stuff, you know that you need to make visual imagery, but how do you adapt that to numbers, right? And there's a system where I can turn your phone number into a visualization, like crazy pink turtle. Crazy pink turtle for me is seven, four, uh, zero, and on and on and on, right? And any nemonist in the world, anyone who's uh, trained in this, I'll, they'll go, you know, me and a, a friend of mine who's also a mnemonics expert, he'll go, uh, yeah, what's the, da, 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 you know, what bus number do I need? And I'll be like, crazy pink turtle. He'll be like, great, got it. Crazy pink turtle. And then 740 dash. So there's a system for numbers. There's a way to adapt it to names and faces, right? Which is creating a visualization for each individual person, visualizing them in that situation or, uh, giving them accessories or props for you. Probably what I would do for Allison is I would connect you to someone else that I know named Allison. I would picture the things that you have similar. And then I'd put you in a situation that would connect you to Allison because Allison is one of my uh, teammates and I'm not going to forget her, right? I know her name. I've been working with her for three years. So if I just put you, you know, and she happens to be my bookkeeper, if I just put you leaning over her shoulder, now what I'm, another thing I'm doing is remember, we talked about that page rank algorithm, the more connections and the more important connections. So I'm not just creating one connection between you and Allison, like you and her, you know, arm in arm. I'm going to connect what I know about you and what I know about Allison to create as many linkages as possible. Because if I forget something, you know, I forget one specific aspect. So Allison happens to be a bookkeeper. And I'm just going to picture you in the scene wherever I see her doing uh, our weekly Zoom call. And I know that you are a business coach. I know that you mentor businesses. I know that you're really good with financials. And you've run, I think it's you nine know, businesses. If, your books, though. Let me tell you. Right. You know, no, no. So I picture you kind of leaning over, you know, and you're wearing a shirt that says Pinnacle Global Network. And you're behind Allison on that call. 
and you're looking at the books and you're going, Jonathan, this is really great work Allison's doing over here. So I've connected you in many different ways. And I also now know I've memorized more details in one visualization because at the highest, highest levels of memory sport, Allison, like people memorizing 36 decks of cards in an hour, memorizing pi to 14,000 digits, the difference is how much information can I condense in as few things that I need to remember. So I've now remembered that you're a business coach and that your name is Allison. I've remembered also that you do consulting work. You know, I've added all these little details in to one visualization. And as I add additional things, say, uh, I might want to know your family members' names. I can add details into my visualizations. And then at the really advanced levels, put those visualizations into memory palaces and all kinds of crazy stuff. That is so incredible. So, you know, because I think just repeating someone's name twice isn't enough. And that's some advice. Doesn't do the trick. And it's something I've really had to work on because I, you know, I'm looking at their face. I'm not, I'm not really digesting the name. And I do, I hate that feeling when you go up and like, you know, this person, you've had deep conversations and you can't remember their name. What about if you, you go up and it's like, okay, I'm, you know, you're meeting four people at once. Right. And everyone introduces themselves. Are you doing all those things, what you just said, that fast? Yeah. So sometimes uh, if I encounter a harder name, so this be, I will say it sounds really hard to do this. It becomes second nature. Uh, and I, I can come up with a visualization really fast for just about any name, unless someone throws like a Sangeeta or something at me. And then I'm like, okay, sometimes what I will do is stall for time while I need to create my visualization. So, you know, I, and this, this comes back to like reading a lot of books on conversation dynamics and people skills and, so uh, what I'll do is I'll ask an active listening question. So for example, oh, that's a lovely name. What does it mean? While they're telling me that, I'll start picturing it, right? So I, um, let's say, I, I don't speak Hindi, but let's say Sangeeta meant like, uh, you know, God's light. So that's perfect. Sun, Gita. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to picture our mutual friend, Gita, Aurora, uh, Joe Polish's partner, and then I'm just going to picture that Sangeeta is the sun, like her face is the sun, and she's shining God's light on our mutual friend, Gita. So I have sun, Gita. It, I'm connecting it to light. I've connected it to someone that I know and care about, which is Gita Aurora. Um, someone's going to write in the audience and be like, no, Sangeeta actually means, um, you know, the... <laughs> The, the merchant yeah. of death or something like that. But, yeah. but you get the idea of, of just connecting and uh, if you need to buy for time or say, how do you spell that? And I'll do that work. But for most names, we all know a mic. We can all picture a microphone. Yeah. Uh, we all know an Aaron. I can picture, uh, you know, uh, well, for me, I go to Aaron, which is the Hebrew version, which means closet. So I can just picture Aaron in the closet. <laughs> I was running errands. There you go. Also good. Yeah. Also yeah. good. You could connect it to that beanie baby from years and years ago that was named Aaron. <laughs> and, and one of the important things is, uh, and, and this is why it takes time for people to learn this, you're connecting it to your memories, things that are relevant to you. So for you, Aaron is fine. Picture, you know, you hired this guy, Aaron, and just picture him. He's driving your car around and he's carrying your dry cleaning bags. <laughs> Easy. He's Aaron. I could use Aaron today. So, um, right. <laughs> well, 
this is awesome. You know, I, I would, uh, I've said many times because, you know, I do, a, I lead a lot of events and most of what, and I'm up on stage for three days at a given time. And there's just a lot of content. Most of it, when I'm up there, I am, it's, it's, it's not memorization. I am, I'm teaching what I know. And so it really comes from the core. I've experienced mm -hmm. it, but there are certain parts that you just want to nail, like the totally. introduction. Uh, you know, I want to come out and just nail word for word. You know, there's certain things like that. And so I will kind of lock myself in my room and read it over and over and over and over. And I am being completely honest when I say it is one of my least favorite things in the world to do. Um, yeah. I just, I know. Maybe you should show another way. Is, so what is another way for that? So there is a 2,500 year old memory technique. We, we bashed on the Greeks a little bit. So now we have to give them credit because this was invented by Simonides of Sios uh, about 2,500 years ago, a little over 2,500 years ago. And it's called the method of Losi or the memory palace technique. Now, remember we talked, Allison, about survival advantage and how our brains evolved to help us survive. One of the most important things in the world, if you are a nomadic human being living on the savannah, is how do I find my way home? How do I find my way to water? Where did I bury the winter food supply? And how do I avoid that tribe that happens to be cannibalistic? We are incredibly good at location. Now, most of us today don't have this, this developed because we use GPS, but we're really, really good at memorizing location. And most people don't realize this, but you could tell me the layout of the last hotel room you stayed in. You could tell me the layout of every office you've ever worked in. You could tell me the layout of every house you've ever lived in. And your brain does this automatically. Mm -hmm. And so one example that I like to give all the time is I tell people, I want you to go back to your childhood home. And if you moved around a lot as a kid, go to the house that you remember most fondly. Now, I want you to think of the room that you were probably least allowed to be in, which is mom and dad's bedroom. And I want you to go to mom's side of the bed. Okay. Now, for, for many people in the audience, they haven't been in that house in 30, 40 years. Okay. Now, I want to know, was there a nightstand on mom's side of the bed? Uh, yes. What was on that nightstand? Uh, there was a lamp and there was a clock that I remember that was kind of a copper color. Mm -hmm. clock. Was it analog or was it a digital clock? I was analog. Pretty impressive. When was the last time you were in that house? Oh my God. Let's see. It's like been 30 years or more. You will never forget that. Right. Now imagine if you cleaned out all those shelves and you use that structure because what, you know, what we talked about earlier is taking memories that are deeply ingrained. Well, turns out every location that you've ever been in even for a pass. I mean, you could tell me the grocery store that you visit sometimes on the way home from work when there's traffic, you know where the, which aisle is the milk and you know where the bell peppers are. It's crazy. Our brains do this automatically. So we have the, all this infrastructure that we can use, clear out all the junk and replace that copper clock with your visualization of Sangeeta and put that little nativity scene, if you will, in there. And then, you know, at the highest levels, we organize these things. So if I'm learning a language and I want to memorize 1,200 words, I organize by parts of speech and there's a logic to it. But when you're doing a speech, you just create a route, 
go in through the front door, turn right, go along the edges of the room and just start putting all of your points in different, different locations. Put one on the desk, one on the bed, one in the corner, one on the wall, one on the windowsill. Now, here's the thing with this technique. I call it the mnemonic nuclear option because it really is for most things, it's like showing up to a water gun fight with a thermonuclear weapon. It's probably overkill. Um, and the, the downside of this is that it works too well. Once you use a memory palace, unless you're trained in erasing memory palaces, that's it. It's gone. You can't use it again because next time you do it, it will bleed. You will actually remember everything that you memorized too well. Another side effect, if you memorize your speech and then your speaking coach goes, I think actually you should mention this sentence after that sentence. Forget about it. Once you've memorized it, it's in there and it's rock solid. And the next thing is you have to be careful. If people watch my TED talk, you will see that it looks like I am reading. And it's because I am. I'm reading it from my memory palace. And I literally am going like a robot. So I'm so nervous. And I'm like, the way that we learn is broken. And that would indicate that because, you know, there, it was like, I knew it word for word for word for word. I could actually give you my TED talk three. Wow. It's been a long time. Four years later, I could still give you the talk backwards. Oh my goodness. And so it's, it, the downside is it, the technique works too well. Okay. But anyone can learn it. Yeah. Anyone can use it. Well, it's interesting. Like what you're saying. I know when I go into a grocery store, I haven't been in, it's always frustrating because you don't know where the things are. It's, but I never really thought about it that way. So you do become accustomed. So just putting those things on the shelf. I love that. I'm definitely going to apply that. So let's talk a little bit. So I love this. And so for anybody watching this, and we're not done yet because I want to talk about online (laughs) courses because you're an expert in creating online courses. And for those of you watching that, you know, maybe you have a certain product or service, you can create a whole other business, whole other revenue stream by um, creating a digital course. We're going to talk about that for a second. But how do people, while we're on this topic, where can people go and get your course? For, yes. For learning. So I wanted to add, I'm glad we're not moving on from that. These techniques, just knowing that they exist miraculously does not help. You actually need to use them. And, and what I've shared today is enough for people to actually go out there and do it. So next time you meet someone named Alice, you know, picture her going down the rabbit hole. And next time you, you meet someone named Bobby, picture him as Bobby Kennedy. You know, violent imagery is, is great. So picture him getting shot like Bobby Kennedy got shot. Um, you have to use these techniques. So uh, there are a few different options. People can actually get a free five-day memory mastery course that we teach. And that's at challenge.becomeasuperlearner.com. That course is honestly so good that you won't need anything else. But if people want to go deep and they want to learn accelerated learning, they want to learn really advanced techniques, like how do you memorize pi to a thousand digits, or also useful things like how do you say you're giving a a lecture or you have a three-day conference like you do and you want to memorize everyone's name from the first time you go on stage and shock people when someone raises their hands you go yeah michael and he goes how the hell did she know my name there's a thousand people in this audience all doable and people can learn that at memory.school wow i saw uh oprah had a thing on her show years ago of these people getting up there and doing photographic memory and like she just put all these names up there quick, quickly or their faces. I can't even remember exactly. And these people just rambled it off. So I, 
blew me away. Yeah, I have to say it, it all sounds really impressive until you know how it's done. And then like now when I see people do this stuff, like recently I uh, hopped on a Facebook live and I was just like messing around. So I had, it's not here anymore, but I blindfolded myself and I had people read me numbers. And then I just recited 50 numbers backwards and forwards, right? Oh. Uh, like 50 digits. And it sounds like super impressive until you know how it's done. And you're like, it's actually no more impressive than reading them off a list. Because that's what I'm doing. It's just my list is in here. Yeah. Uh, here and, you're and somebody it's... that really struggled in school with memory and all this. And look what you yeah. do. So that is so impressive and so much better than Ritalin, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> So let's just, let's touch on um, the online courses and yeah, you know, I would love to hear, uh, you know, maybe some tips around that for those that are thinking about creating an online course. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I always say, uh, I, th I think teaching online courses, most days I would say this, is kind of the best job in the world, right? Because first off, impact is baked right into the product. Like no one buys an online course unless they want to improve their lives in some way. And I don't care if that means you're teaching advanced basket weaving or, you know, some of my courses that I've taught with some of my own mentors are like, hey, how do I, how do I improve my life? Like I'm in a really hard place and how do I improve my life? Or you know, I am so stressed and, and busy. I don't have time to spend with my family. How do I free up my time? Uh, so just the, the product itself is impacting people's lives. And I know you know a lot about that with your work in Pinnacle Global Network. And even before that, with holistic health, like it's so rewarding to, to have a product or service that, you know, you don't have to worry about doing charity after you make the sale because the product is the charity. So that's really cool. And just the ability to scale, I mean, so we've now taught over 200,000 people the techniques that I just shared. And I would, I mean, I could get on stage every day for years, years and years, and I would never reach that many people. So like the scale is massive. And because the scale is massive, obviously the returns are quite massive as well. And we could talk a whole podcast about why courses are worth so much more than books and why it's so much more interactive and such a better, higher quality learning experience. And for someone like me who's an autodidact and always has been, uh, they'll actually learn better from your online course than they will sitting in a room with all kinds of distractions where they can't rewind or they're too embarrassed to say, stop and explain that again. So really, really cool uh, business model. Not always easy. You know, marketing online courses is a challenge and, and standing out and creating a course of quality. But if I had to give people tips, I would first start with the kind of most important realization I ever had about online courses, which is someone asked me once, they're like, your course costs how much? And I told them and they go, why would anyone pay that when you can learn everything today on YouTube for free? You can learn how to assemble nuclear weapons on YouTube. Like there's nothing you can't learn for free on YouTube. And it really got me thinking. And what I realized is this. People buy online courses for the same reason that they hire coaches, for the same reason that you and I go to Genius Network, which is give me the shortest route from A to B. Take out all the guesswork and guarantee my results and hold my hand and make me feel supported. When someone learns something on YouTube, they have to figure out what video to watch next, who to trust. They have to figure out, uh, are they ready to move on? When do they know? And, and how do they know that this information is reliable? And they, there's so much guesswork in learning in that way. So the only value of any of my online courses is I tell you exactly what to learn in what order. I eliminate all the noise and distraction. 
and then I'm invested in your success. I'm there to answer your questions. I'm there to hold your hand. My team is literally 24-7 online to answer people's questions. So realize that. And, and once you do realize that, it becomes less about the video quality and less about the actual words you use and more about what I call the curated learning journey learning the exact right thing in the exact right order so that the dominoes are stacked in a way that they knock down. Yeah. As opposed to, here's, here's an idea about, and I see this all the time with online courses. It's like, just, it's like 50 YouTube videos thrown together, right? And there's no order and there's no rhyme and there's no reason. And there's no precognition as to, well, wait a minute, I just learned about, let's say we're teaching a course about Bitcoin. I just learned about the fundamentals of money and the history of money. The next thing I want to know is, well, how's money today? How's money today different from money a thousand years ago? I don't want you to jump immediately and go, here's 10 interesting things about Bitcoin. Wait, hold on. You lost me already. So because of that asynchronous learning experience and because people can't just raise their hand, right? It's like they're, they're going to submit a question. Someone from my team might answer, you know, in half an hour, but it also might take a day for me personally to go in and answer. So you really have to do a lot of thinking in advance about exactly what people want to learn in, in what order. Yeah. I think that is so true. It is so true because otherwise it's piecemeal. And, um, you know, and that's in, in our mastermind, uh, which you mentioned pinnacle global network. It's the same thing we tell our clients. It's, it's like you, uh, you know how to lose weight, right? Like, Go exercise and eat less. But right. if it was that easy, you know, it wouldn't be a multi-billion dollar industry, right? Oh my gosh, it's insane. Like talk about opportunities for helping people, first off, impact on their lives. But in yeah. one of my mastermind groups, uh, you know, we're all doing okay. And some of us teach business and some teach memory and some teach lifestyle design. And then there's the, the one, I won't say who, but the one person who has a business that people in the audience probably know, which is weight loss and dealing with, you know, how to change your habits around eating. And her business is like 20 times bigger than all of our businesses. And her impact, by the way, is, is also, so it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And you just, you know, you keep each other accountable and focused on the right things. It's so easy for us to go in a gazillion directions. Right. So, and do you feel like that pretty much any industry, any type of business could create an online course? Because, you know, we have clients that have a staffing company, a construction company, a, you know, is that, you know, for them, they're going, well, this doesn't really apply to me. You'd be shocked. So first off, um, yes, because if you have a business, you have competitors. And if you're better at doing something than your competitors, why not turn your competitors into customers? People don't realize, but one of Disney's biggest business divisions is teaching other businesses how to run their business like Disney. And those could be competitors, right? Like MGM or Paramount could send their employees to Disney's corporate training and Disney's super happy to take their money. And I feel the same way. I teach actually courses and I, I hate these people who are like making money by learning how to make money. But I teach courses on how to build a business that teaches courses. In my case, it's not even 10% of my business. But, the, you know, I love this quote. Uh, Take a teaspoon, a bucket, or a tractor trailer. The ocean doesn't care. The memory market is so big. If my courses lead to 100 other people teaching memory training, cool. That's awesome. You guys just advanced my mission, which is to help over a million people learn better. 
Um, and I, I'm sure you feel the same way. There's so much opportunity to help business wow. owners. Yeah. Like take yes. a tractor trailer. It, the ocean doesn't care. So, um, and I'm big on competition. I'm big. I talk totally. about that all the time because I think we're so raised of, oh my gosh, you know, let's not share anything because then they mm. might win. And I see there's enough abundance for everybody and we can all grow together. Totally. And one of the biggest mistakes I ever made in my business was someone contacted me and they were like, hey, I'm starting out a new business and I want to do what you do. And can I buy products from you? Can you wholesale products to me? And I was like, why would I ever help you get into this business? Fast forward three years, he was not only my biggest competitor, he was bigger than me. So I was like, you know, I could have been selling him all these products all along instead of fighting him. It's like, ah. So I learned a very valuable lesson, which is there's no such thing as competition. There's just potential collaboration. Um, so coming back to your original question, I mean, if, if you have a business and you have smart processes, that's an opportunity for courses. The other thing is there are a lot of businesses out there whose product or service is kind of complex um, or even not that complex, but there's, there's uncertainty. You can build an entire new business segment, just like you talk about in your book, Allison, about you can build a whole new business segment certifying coaches to teach what you do and can and clone yourself. Um, there's someone named Melina in Genius Network with us and she sells essential oils and she's in a multi-level marketing company. But actually her real success comes from courses, free and paid, on how to use the essential oils. And she uses those courses to recruit, recruit clients. Uh, Infusionsoft, ClickFunnels, Hootsuite, a lot of these software companies that have these amazing products but are a little bit complicated they have a huge business just selling courses on how to use their products. So yeah. it's amazing. I mean, if you're a contractor and you sell courses about, you know, telling your customers how to properly maintain their buildings, like, okay, you've just paid me $20 million to build a new building. Here's a course on how to actually manage the property. What is the day-to-day -day maintenance you need to do to ensure, protect your investment? I mean, that's a really cool add-on. Yeah. That is so smart. There's so much revenue opportunity there. Oh my gosh, yeah. Love that. So if people want to reach out to you or take a course on how to create a course from you, yeah. um, how do they do that? How do they connect with you? Yeah, so for actually building the courses, we're uh, pretty much operating at full bandwidth. If someone has a really amazing course idea, uh, we can work with them, but just working with genius network people keeps my schedule super full. So I have a course about how to create courses and how to do podcasting and how, you know, all the mistakes that I made and that's at branding you.academy. Branding you.academy. Okay. Yes, awesome. And we will put that down there on that lower third so people can grab that. Jonathan, this, I mean, I went over time today cause I'm was like, dying to get this information for myself. I thought it was so fascinating. I love the work you do. And I love that here you took something that was such a pain and a struggle and you did not allow that to hold you back. You said, I'm, not, I'm gonna overcome this. And now you help others overcome because so many people struggle. You know, that's the secret that I've learned uh, interacting with folks like yourself in Genius Network and having 200 people on my podcasts who are top performers is that it, and now I even ask it as one of the first questions. It's like, okay, I talked to Hal Elrod uh, yesterday, had him back on the show and I go, you wrote this book that helps mil a million people now have read his book. 
helps people do this, that, and that. Like, what was the pain behind that? Because I know in your case, because I've read your book, there was a pain behind that of being overwhelmed and feeling, you know, just drowning in your own business. And I've, I, I found that there's always a pain, you know, sometimes it's, I had a child who suffered from mold and that's why my business is helping people treat and fix mold or I had a child with special needs. And sometimes it's more personal than that. Sometimes it's, uh, I got bullied for years and, and they almost held me back a grade. Yeah, it is. And when we can use that pain and apply it to our mission, then, you know, you're unstoppable. So yes. which you are, Jonathan. So thank you thank for you. being here with me today on Allie and You. And I know um, everyone that's listening to this now or at some point is really going to have a great opportunity for growth. So I appreciate it. It was that. my pleasure. And uh, shalom. And, uh, shalom. <laughs> and uh, I look forward to seeing you soon. Yes, Thank you. likewise. Thank you for being here with me today.